Okay, so Matthew chapter 5, and uh, this is going to be a part 2 as a part uh, part 1. I think we only got through about a dozen verses. Um, so last week, yeah, we looked at those dozen verses, and how, how we looked at how the narrator states that Jesus is teaching his disciples. Yeah, we saw that. Um, and, and Jesus then teaches them how these usually malign types of people are actually blessed. First of all, because they're saved. Yeah, it's repeated time and time again. It's because they're saved. But we also look to the blessings that come in life too from being these types of people. Um, obviously in verses 1 to, well, 1 to 11 there. So we, we saw how that, that as God's children, they're the types of qualities that we want to aspire to have, even the persecution. So... It's kind of like, you could almost call it a badge of honour, couldn't you? If you're being persecuted, you're probably doing things right, as long as it's persecution for, for Jesus Christ's sake, for righteousness' sake. Um, he then said in verse 12, as we saw that, Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. And we talked about how we are the prophets of our day, preaching the truth in a hostile world and I'm going to go to the Lord in a quick word of prayer before we continue so Father I thank you for um, this great chapter in the Bible please help me to just preach it uh, clearly now help me to teach it um, accurately and and just to expound your word as, as you'd want it expounded help me to help people here to have to have open ears to have open hearts to want to hear what your word's got to say to them um, just fill me with your spirit Lord help me to preach boldly and Jesus name pray all of this Amen um, so Verse 13, we start off with in Matthew, Matthew chapter 5 here, where we're continuing from, where it reads, Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savour, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Now, how are Jesus' disciples, and that would include us, if you consider yourself a disciple, I hope you all do, how, how, do, how are we the salt of the earth? Well, salt, salt preserves and it improves taste, doesn't it? Yeah, and, and that's what salt does. It preserves things and it also improves the taste of things. But basically, we, we do preserve the earth, don't we? We preserve the earth. How do we preserve the earth? Because you, you could forget charging people for carrier bags, couldn't you? Because that's not really going to do much for the earth, is it? Yeah, as, as much as, uh, you know, it seems to have gone up and up now. We're up to about 50p a bag now, I think, in a lot of shops. But that's not going to preserve the preserve the earth charging people a big part of a day's wage to drive into london where people have to drive in and many businesses have to drive in isn't going to preserve the earth is it you know cows farting forgetting stopping cows from farting isn't going to preserve the earth yeah i don't think that's going to make much difference and forget how many you know long-haired hippies you know with very greasy unwashed hair stand around telling you that they've got a way of saving the earth i don't think they're going to save the earth either because who's really going to save the earth who's at least going to preserve the earth and keep the earth going it's actually god's children it's us it's it's christians saved christians here it's the red red meat eating diesel truck driving <laughs> carrier bag using <laughs> independent baptist right <laughs> we're who preserved the earth and why is that well we're the reason that that god hasn't let it all progress to marks in the hand and in the forehead and stuff isn't he isn't it like that's the reason it's because we're still here we're still doing something see god's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance but how do people not perish and come to repentance it's from us going out and preaching the gospel isn't it so it's from us going out and preaching the word of God that, that basically preserves the earth because Romans 1.17 says, you don't have to turn there, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. So it, it, it is from someone preaching the gospel. You have to preach the gospel for people to get saved. Each and every one of you, if you're saved, you have a responsibility to preach the gospel because that's how the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. And if we don't preach the gospel, people aren't going to get saved, are they? Yeah. Now, yeah, there are ways. There are people that have some great YouTube videos out, which has helped and probably helped a few people in this room get saved. And that, I've said before, that's a sad state of affairs, isn't it, in this nation, that we had to get a video from thousands and thousands of miles away to be able to hear the gospel just preached as God wants it preached, just clearly from the word of God, not adding any works to salvation or anything else. But, but look, that's, those people still 
we're going out preaching the gospel because the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. And yeah. that's how we preserve the earth. Now, look, yeah, it's great if we can preach some truths and it's great if we can get people righteous and it's great if we can shine a light on sin. But ultimately, it's from there being righteous people in this nation it's that, that this nation's even preserved. And it's from righteous people in this world still that the world is still going and still continuing. Because when it comes to the Great Tribulation, fleeing for our lives and no flesh shall be spared, that's when God finally intervenes isn't it and that's when there wouldn't be anyone else at the end it's also i kind of believe it's going to get it's getting to that point because if you think about the build-up the beginning of sorrows are kind of really just all the grounds just in the right kind of you know it couldn't be in a better better situation for people to get saved to believe the gospel with wars and rumors of wars with famine with pestilence all those things you know if people aren't get, i said this before people aren't going to get saved if people don't get saved then, they're not going to get saved, are they? And it's kind of like we go through all that and then it's like, right, now it's the tribulation. Then the believers start getting wiped out and then it's time, isn't it? Then it's time. And that's kind of where, what we get to. Now, that, that's when he does then, at that point, when we, praise God, end up getting raptured, that that's when he sends in the big guns, isn't he? Then it's 144,000. Then it's uh, the two witnesses and then... You know, during that final period of wrath, there'll be some final salvations and then it's kind of time, isn't it? Then it's done. Now, he said here, if the salt have lost his, his savour, wherewithal shall it be salted? So savour is taste, it's smell, it's ability to preserve, yeah? It's, if, if it loses that, it's good for nothing, isn't it? If, if we don't have that, if we don't have the, the taste that comes in, and look, you know, God wants a sweet-smelling savour, doesn't he? And if we're not doing anything, if we're not preserving the world by getting people saved, then we're good for nothing, aren't we? Yeah. yeah? And and wherewithal shall it be shall it be salted? The earth, well, where's it going to get salted? If it's not by God's children, no one else is going to preach the gospel. Because yeah. it has to come from faith to faith. Yeah. And that's what we're here for. And uh, look, you know, I don't think this stuff can be preached enough. Oh, well, you've got, you got a church of soul winning Christians, brother Ian. Yeah, but a church of soul-winning Christians can quickly become a church of not so many soul-winning Christians. Yeah, this stuff needs yeah. preaching regularly because no. if we're not sent out, people stop preaching the gospel. Yes. And there are many people that were convicted to preach the gospel many years ago, soon after they got served and were listening to good preachers encouraging them to preach the gospel who no longer preach the gospel. And there are many people that probably are on their way to not preach the gospel very much. There are many people that will find excuses not to preach the gospel. And look, the flesh a lot of the time doesn't want to, but... Just to remind that, it is great though, isn't it? It's a great preaching of the gospel. I was just talking to someone when they come in earlier and just saying like, isn't it fun though? Isn't it great? And what you come across in, yeah, sometimes you've got to be thick-skinned and yeah, sometimes it can be pretty rough at times, but isn't it great? Even when you don't get the salvation, it's just out there, the exciting stories. Isn't it? You'll never get bored going out and soul winning, will you? I mean, you look back and you think, what did I used to do before I went out soul winning? And, and how much do children learn from being out soul winning as well? What do they just, they see all this, you know, because you, you, it's one thing, isn't it? Isn't it? Sitting at home going, don't drink, don't do drugs, don't fornicate, don't do all this stuff. It's another thing when they're out and they're just seeing the product of that. Yeah, and, yeah. and you're knocking on the door and someone's saying, oh, yeah, I'm not really interested. Oh, hell's a good idea, isn't it? Oh. You know, you just look at this and, and well, it's the best lesson they could learn, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, no, we're not telling them to hang out with him. Yeah. <laughs> not, saying, not saying you disappear in there, little one, and I'll, I'll, I'll come and get you later. But you know what? They learn a lot, don't they? They learn a lot, and they learn a lot about life, soul winning, and we learn a lot as well, don't we? Yeah. And it's, well, isn't it a reminder? So often when you're knocking on those doors and all you can smell is the smell of whatever drug it is, or you can see the piles of bottles of booze outside the place, or, you know, or, or, or just, just the way people are dressed and everything else, and they open a door, and usually they're not a very good advertisement for it, are they? They're not, and it's a good reminder for us as well, because sometimes we can get a bit in our cocoon, can't we? And we can just kind of get into our own little bubbles, our own family bubbles, especially those at homeschooling as well. And sometimes people, even out in the workplace, sometimes they can just get into their own comfortable bubbles. Some people are self-employed. A lot of people work from home now. But going outside when he makes a difference, that doesn't it? It does make a difference. And look, but if we've lost our savour, then, well, like it said here, uh, but if the sort of loss is saved, well, wherewithal shall it be sorted? It is forth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. 
and and look we don't want to be cast out do we yeah cast out and trodden underfoot now what does that mean to be cast out and trod does that mean you lose your salvation no of course it doesn't because you can't lose your salvation but that means that you can easily just end up at church you can easily end up just out of the things of God. You can easily just end up like a bit of a, you know, a bit of a, a, a wayward child who then ends up getting trodden underfoot of men. And don't they get trodden underfoot of men? You see Christians that end up just pulling away from the things of God and they end up trodden under the foot of men. They end up back in the bondage of sin. And I don't mean about eternal, eternal salvation here, but just back in that day-to-day -day bondage of sin. And they end up in a much worse state it seems than when they started backslidden christians are not a nice thing to see are they and we don't want to end up being cast out and trodden underfoot of men so we want to make sure that we continue to be the sort of the world ye are the light of the world he then says in verse 14 a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel but on a candlestick and it giveth light unto all that are in the house let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father which is in heaven what's a bushel a bushel basically it's a vessel used for measuring dry measures and they're huge measures so think of a, a big box yeah a big box we're the light of the world okay so that means that it's criminal to hide that light isn't it if you're the light in a dark world why on earth would you hide that light but again how many saved christians hide that light how many saved christians are ashamed of that light how many saved christians just get on with the things of the world and don't even try and shine that light but it is criminal, and, and he says here that we should be like, basically, a city that is set on a hill. Ye are the light of the, the, the world, and a city that is set on a hill cannot be, he cannot be hid. If you think about that, whenever you've seen that, especially at night, and you drive past a large hill, mountain, something like that, and you see a city up there, wow, it's lit up, isn't it? You can see that, that, that there's a city up there. And that's how we should be, shouldn't we? We should be like a city on a hill that is apparent to everyone. It should be pretty clear we're Christians. It should be pretty clear that we're living right. It should be pretty clear because we're preaching the gospel. It should be pretty clear what we are. And look, in a, in a generation like this, it is pretty clear, isn't it, that you're different? It should be. If people just have no idea, then you're going massively wrong, aren't you? Because how far away is this? Look, I'm not saying this world was, I'm not saying this country was some great place before. I'm not trying to look back and say things are so much better. What I am saying is that people at least pretended to believe the word of God. At least some principles were based on the word of God in this nation. And, and that's not the case anymore. So we stick out like a sore thumb even more. Yeah, there's always been wickedness. Yeah, a lot of those people were liars and fakes and, you know, in wicked religions like the Church of England and Catholic Catholicism and everything else. But they at least claim to want to follow the teachings of God. Well, we want, we, nowadays we have more of an opportunity to be that light on a hill. And obviously not worried about who might see us. Because it's no good being, you know, if those, those, that city's up on a hill and it's worried about it, well, it's going to be a pretty dark city, isn't it? Because all the lights are going to be off. If they're on some sort of lights out rule, well, they're not going to be doing much up there and it's going to be a pretty grim place to be. We want our light shining. Now, turn to Philippians 2. Because is our light shining? Is that just preaching the gospel, do you think? Is, is our light shining just, well, as long as you preach the gospel, you're shining that light? Well... Or is it maybe preach the gospel and avoiding major sins? Is that it? Well, as long as you preach the gospel, as long as you, you dress well and, you know, you, the, the, the ladies don't dress like men or like whores and the, the men don't dress like, you know, too shabby or dress like they're some sort of, you know, queer boy or something. Does that mean that we're, we're somehow a light in this world? Well, look at Philippians 2 and verse 14 says, do all things without murmurings and disputings. So, by the way, as we're going to see, it includes murmurings and disputings. God hates murmuring. So being a light in this world includes not murmuring and disputing. See, if we're coming away from church, coming away from our jobs, coming away from our lives to our unsaved family, friends, people in our lives and constantly murmuring and disputing and complaining about things in our life, we're not a light in the world, are we? Because verse 15 then says that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke. In the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. So doing things without murmurings and disputings makes us blameless and harmless. The sons of God without rebuke. And we're in the middle of a crooked and perverse nation among whom we should be shining as lights in the world, shouldn't we? 
Yeah, so we should be shining his lights to the world. And that, that includes, obviously, the minor things. Well, it's not just about preaching the gospel. It's about how we live. It's about how we come across to other people. And it's not, that shouldn't be your goal. Ultimately, your goal should be living for the Lord, shouldn't it? And then with that, when we live right, when we follow the word of God, God should look down. Sorry, people should look, God should look down and be pleased. And people should look and go, what a light, what a shiny light, what a city on a hill. But therefore then what do we then see we then see people take verses like this and then think that it's just how we live yeah you see those types the lifestyle evangelism types the ones who are just well as long as you live right as long as you live right you are that light in the world shine your light before men you know mention church mention god now and again you know cut out the major sins like we talked about the other day don't get angry because they consider anger apparently is a sin nowadays or don't you know don't don't cut don't use cuss words because that for them is one of the most important things but there are many ways that we should be a shining light aren't there without murmurings and disputings being one and just basically living right but also it's also by preaching the gospel verse 16 says holding holding forth the word of life I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither laboured in vain. So it's preaching the word too, isn't it? Preaching the word, preaching the gospel, holding forth the word of life, living by the word of God, and that includes going out and preaching the gospel. So shining your light before men isn't just about looking good. It's not just about trying to trying to look like you're very holy. It's about preaching the gospel as well. And and we have to shine that light because it's the light of the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? Well, verse verse sixteen back where you were in Matthew 5 verse 16 said let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father which is in heaven because they go hand in hand preaching the gospel whilst living right for the Lord well look it's one thing living right but they need to know how to glorify your father which is in heaven don't they how do they know how to glorify it? By you explaining to them from the word of God with the explanation of a saved Christian explaining exactly how you get saved. Yeah, and, and how, to, how to put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So verse 17 then says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law, or the prophets I am not come to destroy, but to fulfil. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. Now, a jot is an iota, the smallest letter in Greek. Tittle is like a point or stroke of a letter. Okay, so this is like the minutest parts of the law. He said, not one, he said, not uh, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Jesus is saying that even the smallest part of the law will not disappear because he's not come to destroy it, but to fulfill it. So here, obviously, he's not talking about the meats, drinks, diverse washings and carnal ordinances okay he's talking about the moral law the moral law turn to romans chapter 3 well i read galatians 3 24 your turn to romans 3 galatians 3 24 says wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto christ that we might be justified by faith so the law shows us our need for a savior it teaches us that all have sinned doesn't it yeah it teaches us that that all have sinned to come short of the glory of god it makes it very clear without the law that no one would know that it, it brings us to the lord jesus christ romans 3 where you've turned to verse 31 romans 3 31 says do we then make void the law through faith god forbid yea we establish the law the law isn't void okay the law is a void the reason that faith in christ is needed in the first place is because of the law isn't it but it doesn't mean then the law's just discarded all oh, right now i'm saved that's it law's done because the Lord's perfect, isn't it? Amen. The Lord is truth. The Lord is righteousness. The Lord is, is, is well, it's amazing. Turn to, turn to Psalm 19 and we'll see that. And while you turn, I'm going to read Romans 7, 12, which says, Wherefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy and just and good. And again, look, we talk about it a lot because it just seems that, that we have liberal Christianity pretty much everywhere in this nation, which believe that, that the law is some sort of bad thing. The law is some sort of old, the Old Testament thing. And now that we're saved, that we should just live how we want. Well, that's not the case, is it? Because the law is perfect. The law is good. The Lord is, is, is just. Psalm 19, did you turn to Psalm 19 and verse 7 reads, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise and simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. 
The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and a honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Great verse there, isn't there? In keeping of them there is great reward. You keep the law, you try and live for God, and you're going to get rewards in heaven. And that's amazing, isn't it? But what it does do, it also brings us to Christ because the law shows us clearly our need for a saviour, doesn't it? Okay, because the law, look, everyone here is going to fail. Everyone here sins. Everyone here has sinned and continues to sin. And the law shows us our need for a saviour. But the law is also something to love. The law is something, it's not just something to be angry. Oh, oh that, that law, it's so strict. No, look, when you live, when you try and live by the law, when you have those good times, when you live right, isn't it a great thing? Don't you feel better about yourself? Don't you feel good about life? But because it's, it's, it's his, his uh, judgments are more to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and a honeycomb honeycomb but who really believes that here do you really believe that that the law of the lord is judgments are to be salt more than gold are you as happy when you read the word of god as you are as you would be if you found a bar of gold let's be honest now <laughs> we all fail at that don't we yeah everyone's gonna be cheering for you know jumping for joy they've just you know they've done a bit of digging in the garden i've got a massive lump of gold but I bet you don't feel like that when you when you get your King James Bible out. But we should, shouldn't we? Yeah, because the, look, the word of the Lord, it helps you so much in life, doesn't it? And the law of the Lord helps you. And it's not just to bring us to Christ. Or back to where we were in Matthew 5 and verse 18. He said, for verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Now, here's a question. How would that work? if the law of the lord was only in the originals how would that work how could not one jot or tittle pass from the law if it's just the general gist of it makes no sense does it how would that work if it's only based on some original manuscripts that no one has anymore and well as long as it's something it does it does it it has to like the the word of god clearly promises that the word will be preserved yeah and and look the Bible's clear about that. We, we, you know, we've gone through. I'm not going to go into one on this, you know, because we, we've heard it many times. We know, I think everyone here knows that, that God promised to preserve his word. He's preserved his word. And that's why he can say here that not one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Because it won't, till heaven and earth pass. And when are we talking about here? We're talking about at the end. We're talking about at the end of the millennium. We're talking about at that point. Well, why, why will... Well, could then one jot or one tittle, because there won't be any more sin anymore, because it will only be there for people with glorified bodies at the very end. That's going to be a great time, isn't it? And and with that, there will be no need anymore. But it's still going to be great to have it, isn't it? It's still going to be great to have the Word of God. And I think you have the Word of God just written on your heart. Can you imagine with your glorified body, with a, with a body like in the likeness of Christ? That's going to be amazing, isn't it? Now, verse 19 says, Whosoever there shall therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So first off, break even small commandments and teach others to do so is a bad thing. Yeah? And that's a like, good thing to remember before, you know, because some people look, uh, you know everyone everyone here and it's something i have to be careful of don't i as well is that look a lot of people like to teach and sometimes it's not necessarily a good thing because if you're if you're not sure about what you're teaching if you're trying to teach the word of god and you're telling people it's okay to break this commandment it's okay to break that commandment and you're teaching people to do that you're going to be called le called least in the kingdom of heaven and that's not just talk about the guy behind the pole because everyone could do that you could do that with your kids you could do that with your wives you can do that with your family and friends. You can do that with new believers. You can do that with the person you've just got saved at the door. Yeah. Oh, well, don't worry about coming to church. As long as you watch some online call pastors, you'll be all right. There were people that were doing that before. They were going out from here and trying to recommend other, other preachers. Oh, yeah, yeah, just, just go and listen to something else. You'll be all right. So look, they want to be, you want to be trying to get them into church, you? Yeah? Because that's what the sin, the sin isn't, oh, oh, it's sinful to not listen to people online. Yeah? The sin is forsaking the assembly of ourselves to get to the manner of summits. Yeah, so look, 
that's something we should be encouraging people to do, shouldn't we? It's come to church. And there are many ways that we could be teaching people ourselves to break these commandments. So before we want to jump, get out the Bible in church, after church, and, you know, teach people the Bible, we want to make sure that we're teaching correctly, right? And look, like I've said many times before, it's weird when you see people with Bibles out of church. Look, it's one thing to talk to each other and chat and chat about the Bible. When you see someone with someone who's fairly new and green and sitting down and trying to teach them, it's, I don't know, they're, a lot of the time they're red flags, guys, yeah? Okay, that's sort of thing that our past says to watch out for, okay? So just to bear that in mind, yeah? Okay, we, we, look, the teaching comes from the pulpit here, yeah? Okay, not in little corners of the church and stuff, you know, trying to show people and pick your, make yourself into some sort of teacher. But teaching others to break the small commandments, okay, that, that, that will make you called least in the kingdom of heaven. Now, keeping the commandments and teaching others to is a great thing. So something, look, we should be doing that, shouldn't we? But we want to make sure when you teach your family, when you teach your friends, when you're teaching new believers, you've just got saved. When you're teaching people the word of God, look, that's a good thing. Yeah, teaching people to keep the commandments, but not trying to teach someone to be a liberal type Christian. Not trying to teach someone that, well, brother Ian and that sort of church or whatever church, they're a bit strict. But don't worry, you know, you just need to be a bit more laid back, a bit more easy about these things. Because I'm, I'm a bit more loving, you know, that sort of attitude you get from people. You know, oh, yeah, don't worry about that. Now, that's not good, is it? And those preachers that preach that out there, that's wicked, isn't it? Isn't it wicked? Because if they're, if they're not preaching, if they're not teaching people to keep the commandments, which how many churches are not teaching people to, te to keep the commandments and just bending to the world or bending to their own liberal interpretation, well, look, if they're saved, they're going to be called least in the kingdom of heaven. If they're saved. But it is a good thing to teach people to keep the commandments. Now, here's another thing to notice from that verse. Notice how someone breaking commandments and even teaching others to do so. So they're breaking commandments. They're teaching others to break commandments. Where are they still? In the kingdom of heaven. They're still in the kingdom of heaven. Shock horror. Can you believe that? You can break commandments. You can teach people to break commandments and still go to heaven. Why? Because that's got nothing to do with going to heaven. Because going to heaven is based on faith alone. It's not based on what you do. It's not based on what you teach. It's not based on what commandments you keep and don't keep. And that's just a life in the pit of hell. It's just another workspace salvation, whatever which way around you do it or you put it. Now, verse 20 then says, For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, obviously, you know, he's just made this clear point in verse 19, hasn't he? Okay, about people that are in the kingdom of heaven, least and great the kingdom of heaven. Then he goes on to say, well, except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes of Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. So Q, you know, the work salvation is going, mate, look, see, you've got to be really great to get to heaven. Well, but that's not the truth, is it? Because how does your righteousness exceed the Pharisees? Obviously, these are people that they looked up to in that, in that nation as being the holy people, right? These were the holies, uh, the, a lot of them sadly holier than now. And unfortunately, people do look at holier than nows and think, wow, what a holy person. And again, look, there's one, you've got one side of the scale, you've got the liberal, you know, just trying to teach it, you just, you know, forget all the commandments. And then you've got the holier than nows. And the holier than nows that like to appear to be so much more holy than they are. Okay? And people looked at the scribes of Pharisees and thought how holy they were. But as we know, they're full of hypocrisy, aren't they? Full of dead men's bones. But on the outward the outward appearance the outward of the cup and platter was very clean you know like whited sepulchers on the outside weren't they so but it would be a bit of a random measuring stick wouldn't it if that was the, the how you get into heaven that's a bit of a random measuring stick well which scribe and which pharisee what the scribes and pharisees they just come as a plural they, do they all just live in the same way which scribe or Pharisee? He's just said, like we, like we saw in verse 19, whosoever therefore shall break one of the least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. He's still in the kingdom of heaven. Because there's only one way that we can be righteous enough. It's through faith in Christ, isn't it? And we need a reminder of that in verses like this because you do have to study to show thyself approved. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed rightly to find the word of truth. See, people could open up the Bible, get out Matthew chapter 5 and go, see, got to be your righteousness has to be more righteous than scribes and pharisees to go to heaven but that's not what the bible says does it when you compare it together jesus christ is making a point here well what's the point well turn to romans chapter 4 like i said the, the point is that there's only one way we can be righteous enough yeah through faith in jesus christ alone romans chapter 4 and from verse 1 
says, What shall we say then that Abraham our father is pertaining to the flesh and found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. Works such as your own righteousness succeed in that of the scribes and Pharisees. Well, so how does that work? Well, look, verse 3, For what saith the scripture, Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is a reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. That's how our righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. It's by faith in Jesus Christ. It's belief in Jesus Christ because his righteousness is imputed unto us. Right. Verse 6 then says, Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works saying blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered blessed is a man to whom the lord will not impute sin and that's a really good reminder that first before we then go into this next part of of matthew chapter five don't forget those verses blessed is a man to whom the lord will not impute sin their future sins Let's, let's carry on with Matthew 5 then, because verse 21 then says, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill. And whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. I'm going to continue just for, for a few more verses, then we'll go back to it. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thine adversary quickly, whilst thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. You have, you have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. So what's going on here? What's going on here? Could we still get cast into hell for calling someone a fool? Should we be plucking out our eyes, like it says here, and cutting off our hands to avoid going to hell? Well, like I said, we just read Romans 4, 8, which said, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. And just, again, just a reminder, turn to John chapter 11. While you turn there, I'll, I'll read John 10, 28 to 29, which says, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. John 11 and verse 25, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? If you, if you live and you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will never die. Okay? Spiritually, you will never die. So with that in mind, let's look at this again. Verse 21 says, Ye have heard that it was said of the, by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill. And whosoever, that's a key word here, shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. So he's quoting what was said by the scribes and Pharisees. He's just talked about the scribes and Pharisees. He says, Ye have heard that it was said by them, that's the scribes and Pharisees of old time. Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. So the scribes of Pharisees are saying, well, if you, if you kill someone, you're, you're in danger of the judgment. Whosoever, okay, that's anyone, right? Yeah, we talk about whosoever a lot. Whosoever believes in him shall not perish for everlasting life. Whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. Now, because he's talking to save believers here, but he's talking about the whosoever here. Okay, he's talking about people in general. He's talking about the proverbial just you, people, because he then says, but I say unto you that whosoever, yeah, whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council, but whosoever shall say, thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Jesus is saying, it's not just murderers, it's those even with just undeserving anger. He's basically saying, like when we go to the door and we say to someone, 
you know, the thought of foolishness is sin. You think it's just murder that's, t that's sending you to hell? You think that if you avoid murdering someone? No, he's saying, he's saying here, whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. He goes on to say, whosoever shall say to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council, but whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hell fire. Yeah, look, it's not just the major sins that will send you to hell, it's the minor sins as well. That's what he's saying to them. Raka, by the way, means empty, worthless, a good for nothing. That will get in someone in front of the council. And I, I think he's just saying like going to court here. But saying thou fool is enough to send you to hell. Now, by the way, fool a lot of the time in the Bible is, is often referring to the worst types of people. So it's basically just giving out, uh, you know, a harsh insult to someone is enough to send you to hell. Well, but like I said, notice how it's whosoever. He's not talking about the saved. He's explaining that all sin condemns you to hell, right? right all sin condemns you to hell. Now, with that in mind, the saved should then respect that, shouldn't they? They should respect that bearing grudges, being unforgiving is sinful and hinders our prayers and walk with God. Because then look, look at the beginning of verse 23. Therefore... Okay, so whosoever, basically, look, even this will send you to hell. This is all sinful. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee. So now he's talking to the saved here. He's saying, look, if you bring your gift to the altar, and you remember that your brother hath ought against you, basically you're bringing an offering to the altar. You bring, in, in our terms, you bring an offering to church. Leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. So he's saying, look, you want to offer things to the Lord and feel good. And this is over and above. This is, a, this is an offering. This isn't, I believe, just a tithe. This is over and above. Well, you want to make sure you're reconciled to your brother. Agree with thine adversary quickly, whilst thou art in the way with him, lest at any time... The adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. Okay, now, you could look that as uh, two ways. You could say in one way, look, if you're just going out and causing trouble and getting in grief and everything else, yeah, you could be, you could end up in some sort of punishment, some sort of worldly punishment. But also, look, we get chastised by God, don't we? But it's not talking about hell, hell, because how on earth would it then say, thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing? Well, obviously not a picture of eternal punishment. You don't have to turn it, but in Luke 16 and 20, verse 26, Abraham says to the rich man in hell, and beside all this between us and you, there is a great gulf fix. So that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. So you can't go from one to the other, okay? You can't come out from thence when you've paid the uttermost farthing, okay? That's not what it's talking about. Here in Matthew 5, he's talking about chastisement in life as a saved believer. He's saying that, look, if you're going to just bear grudges, if you're coming to church and you've just got all this enmity, animosity towards other, you're not forgiving people, but you, then you're coming and hoping to receive blessings from God, you're going to get the opposite, okay? You're going to get chastised, you're going to get punished, and then you're going to have to basically pay your dues for that, yeah? You're going to have to pay for that in terms of through physical chastisement. Now look at verse 27 in Matthew 5. He then says, You have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Okay, now, them, again, the Pharisees of old time. The Pharisees have said from old time that thou shalt not commit adultery. Now, the context here is being in danger of the judgment from verse 21, right? And how our righteousness must in fact exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees that we saw from verse 20. But obviously that's through Christ's righteousness imputed unto us. But I say unto you that whosoever, it's a whosoever again, yeah? Whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Look, Jesus goes further, doesn't he? And by the way, this is like, this is a great passage for those who are like, Jesus Christ has done away with the law. Uh, when they try and interpret the fulfilled as if like now the law's done. No, Jesus Christ is going even stricter, isn't he? He's expanding. Yeah, he's fulfilling the law. You could say as well by expanding on the law and saying, no, basically, you've heard this. But I'm going to tell you that, in fact, you even look on a woman to lust after her and you've committed adultery already in your heart. Yeah, see how sinless you can all be with that. Yeah, obviously talking to the men here. What? All these men here, what, you think they haven't ever looked at a woman to lust after? 
after hole, ready in their heart. Because, look, that's something that a lot of men have to deal with sometimes, don't they? He's saying, he's saying here that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in, in his heart. Okay, it's another whosoever. And, and by the way, just on that quickly, okay, just a quick, just extra on that. Women, you don't want men committing adultery with you in their heart, do you? You don't want to be a partaker of the men committing adultery by looking on you to lust after you. So I would hope to God that a God-fearing woman here who cares about their brothers and sisters and doesn't want to cast stumbling blocks isn't hoping either by the way they dress or the way they act or the way they flirt or the way they talk to men in whatever way it is to try and encourage them to, com to commit adultery in their heart. Because that's wicked, isn't it? Because they are a partaker then. And that's one of the reasons why it's not, oh, well, well, it's just about wearing a dress. No, but it's the whole thing. It's a whole package, isn't it? Yeah, we should be like flirting and acting like that. And I don't think we have that at this church. But look, we want to make sure we never do, don't we, as well? Yeah. Okay, so he said, so that was, a, like I said, that was another whosoever there. Now, look, then he goes on to say, he then goes on to say, and remember the context now is here in this next verse, and... It starts with an and, okay? Talking about whosoever looks on a woman to last after. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. If thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Okay, is he telling them to do that? Is he telling them to pluck out their eyes and cut off their hands? No. He's saying that if someone, whosoever looks on a woman, yeah, that whosoever, remember, we saw. If someone, the, the, the person that's trying to achieve that righteousness, he would be better off plucking out his eye or even cutting off his hand and being cast into hell. Because that's how bad hell is. You would be better off, yeah, to pluck out that offensive eye and cutting off that offending hand than to end up in hell fire. He's saying that someone would need to go further than to avoid hell based on their own works, basically, isn't he? Look, you ain't just, look, it's not, you, you're going to have to start cutting off hands and plucking it out. And let's be honest, that still wouldn't be enough, would it? Yeah, he's giving a complete extreme here because you cannot be good enough. Because if it's based on even looking on a woman to lust after her, that's pretty much every man done. Okay? Every red-blooded male at some point in their life, they're done. Okay? Then if, you, then if you, you, you go on with all the rest of it, he's saying that even having anger with their brother without a cause, well, that's everyone done. Because at some point, people have been angry with people and they haven't really had a reason to do that. Being unforgiving and everything else. And by the way, that's just a couple that he's decided to expand upon. Because you cannot achieve it yourself, can you? You cannot achieve it yourself. Okay, he then carries on correcting false doctrine because it's false doctrine that he's correcting here, isn't he? He's talking about them, they, what the Pharisees have been teaching. He then says, it had been said, whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a, her a writing of divorcement. And notice how he didn't say that they have said this because, because it's an interpretation here. This is where they get it wrong, is the interpretation of it. But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. Whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. So the scribes and Pharisees are trying to condone divorce for any cause, aren't they? They're just saying because they even say, like, you know, later on they say to him, you know, master, you know, is it okay for someone to put away their wife for any cause? You know, this is what they, they, they've tried to interpret that verse as saying. Um, turn to Matthew 19 where we see Jesus explain this clearly. And now this is not a popular teaching, but just because it's unpopular, do we not teach it? No, we teach the word of God. And, and Matthew chapter 19 and verse 1 says, And it came to pass, Matthew 19, 1, that when Jesus had finished these sayings, he departed from Galilee and came into the coast of Judea beyond Jordan. And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And he answered, said unto them, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. And that includes yourself, that includes someone else, okay? 
trying to break up marriages, trying to, whether yourself's doing it, whether someone else, it's wicked. Okay? It's wicked. Now, verse 7, it says, They say unto him, Why did Moses send command to give a right to give divorcement and to put her away? So, they're saying, well, he said that you could give a right to give divorcement. Well, keep a finger there, and that means that you've probably got two fingers now, one there and one in Matthew 5. And we're going to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 24, which is what they're referring to. Deuteronomy chapter 24 and verse number 1. Deuteronomy 24 and verse 1 reads, Deuteronomy 24, 1, When a man hath taken a wife and married her, and it come to pass that she find no favour in his eyes, because he hath found some uncleanness in her, that's the key point here, then let him write her a bill of divorcement, and give it in her hand, and send her out of his house. Okay, so what does it mean to find some uncleanness in her? Well, we just read, saving for the cause of fornication. We read earlier Matthew 5.32. That's the uncleanness. Now, fornication, in case you're unsure or unclear about this, this is physical relations outside of marriage. This is before marriage or people who are unmarried, where there's no married party involved. Otherwise, it becomes adultery. So for there to be fornication that's something that's happened before the marriage so basically so this is what it's based on is if someone is under the impression that they're marrying a virgin okay they're under the impression they're marrying a virgin and then when it comes to to coming together they realize actually she's not a virgin now that that is the one the one time that divorce in god's eyes is acceptable okay and again, it's more like he's giving them that for the hardness of their hearts, because he's even saying in an ideal world, you, you love this woman, you want to marry her. And for her own good and for your own good, really, really, you should still stay married. But here's one thing. If it's too much, the bit that you just can't deal with that. OK, you can write, give her a writing. So uh, you can you can write her a bill of divorcement and give it in her hand and send her out of his house. OK. And what do we see there? He has found some unclean, uncleanness in her. That's talking about basically sexual uncleanness. And when she is departed out of his house, she may go and be another man's wife. And if the latter husband hate her, and write her a bill of divorcement and giveth it in her hand and sendeth her out of his house. So if the latter husband die, which took her to be his wife, her former husband, which sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife. After that, she is defiled, for that is abomination before the Lord, and thou shalt not cause the land to sin which the lord thy god giveth thee for an inheritance so she's gone out and got married again basically he can't then take her back afterwards okay that's done okay that's weird right so go back to matthew 19 with that in mind that's the one exception and matthew 19 and verse 8 says he saith unto them moses because of the hardness of your heart suffered you to put away your wives but from the beginning it was not so and i say unto you whosoever shall put away his wife except it be for fornication and shall marry another committeth adultery and whoso marrieth her which is put away doth commit adultery look it's not popular and i honestly yeah my, my like I, i'll be honest yeah my heart does break for people in that situation yeah I feel, I, I honestly, yeah, I, I feel gutted for people that are in that situation that have been divorced, especially people that have almost been forced into a divorce, and and other people that that for whatever reason and unsaved have got divorced. And look, and and look, we we because we've all done many many sins. So this isn't preaching against people that have had a divorce. This is preaching and and preaching against people to take marriage seriously. And preach against everyone here who's married to never get divorced. It's preaching to kids to not marry until you're sure you're marrying it. And look, that's a good lesson as well. Like, look, there's no, there's no rushing into marriage. Yeah, okay, you're not in a rush. There's no, there's no countdown timer on. Just, just make sure that you make the right as much as you can that you make the right choice there. But in the same way, it's also to say God doesn't then condone it if it's something that's happened before salvation. There's no, there's no clause in there that said, well, unless it was before you were saved. Unless it would, look, because marriage is in the eyes of God. Marriage is an institution of God. And when you get married, you're, you're basically making a vow to God. Okay, so after that, whatever's happening, God's eyes, you're still married. Because divorce, unless it's for the cause of fornication, 
he doesn't he doesn't accept that now i've had people ask me go what am i meant to do what am i meant to do well serve the lord for starters try and reconcile if it's possible and that's not that's not necessarily possible for many people but serve the lord trust in the lord with all thine heart and not unto thine own understanding in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths yeah. serve god use that time to serve god because uh, there are people in the world that probably would like to be in your situations those of you that might be in this situation there are people out there that you know kind of look marriage isn't always a bed of roses for many either and i'll tell you something interesting as well second marriages are definitely not a bed of roses because they're much more likely to end in divorce okay and third marriages are even more likely to end in divorce which sounds ridiculous because you think look you're kind of doing it the third time now you're surely not going to divorce no because a lot of the time Look, if you if if you've got a divorce, that means there is some issue there, isn't there? And something that that a lot of the time people are more likely to then divorce again. Okay. And second and third marriages don't have the blessing of God either. And if you're a Christian, you need the blessing of God in your marriage. Okay, because you have enough pressure, enough attack from the outside that to not want to go into it without the blessing of God. So if you're in that situation, be patient. Yeah, be patient. You, there's no look. Trust in the Lord try and reconcile you never know what might happen with that and you never know what might happen in the future and you don't know you know life is short you don't know what might happen and in with and before that instead of, without even planning that sort of stuff just serve the lord right serve the lord and and the lord will make things clear to you and that can be a great life for serving the lord yeah. as well okay so it's not popular though is it it's not a popular teaching and look ultimately you can choose to do what you want and if someone here was divorced and they decided no i'm gonna i don't i don't care what god says i would definitely advise against it i would definitely preach against it and you chose to go and do that look that's your choice yeah and maybe you know i, I would i would seek counsel on that it might be that we decided you might need a bit of time out of church for a while but look ultimately it's not like you're banned it's not like i'm never going to talk to you again you can choose to do that but i would i would strongly recommend you don't because as soon as you're going outside of god's will and something that's that's a serious big deal as well look, adultery isn't adultery isn't just oh well it's like you know a bit of a, a bit of a foolish thought yeah it's just a bit of a what we might consider a minor sin look, adultery is a massive sin yeah okay yeah. A, that's a death penalty sin Amen, yeah. yeah it's not a death penalty sin for a laugh it's a death penalty sin because god hates it okay yeah. and look we don't want to be getting into the, those sorts of sins and planning those sorts of sins yeah, yeah? okay yeah. let alone doing those sorts of sins that just just that's like just should just be out of bounds okay verse 33 says again you have heard uh back to matthew 5 sorry matthew 5 verse 33 says again you have heard that it had been said of by them of old time Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. Now, forswear is to swear falsely, perjure yourself, basically, to God. For example, I swear that if you give me this new car, I'm going to go to church three services a week for the rest of my life. Yeah, And then, you know, by week two, you've really started missing them because the football was on or something else. Yeah. Okay, so forswearing is basically a false oath. Yeah, swearing falsely. Now, what is... Now, what does Jesus Christ say? So he says it's been said by them, again, the, the Pharisees, not to not to swear false oaths. Yeah, we shouldn't swear false oaths. But Jesus goes even further on this. He says, but I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. So obviously some people used to swear by their head. But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. So what's he saying here? Well, there's obviously different things people swear by. I swear by heaven. You, you've heard probably people make stupid sort of, I swear by this. But I swear by my life is probably the, the version of I swear by my head. Yeah, that you might hear right now. I swear by my life that that's true. But should you really have to say that? And isn't it annoying? Like, I don't know. I, I, don't, I hope you probably, I don't really get this now. People are going, swear to me. If people are going to you, do you swear? Then you, if they know you well, you're probably a bit untrustworthy if they need to be saying that. Really? Because that's what Jesus is saying there, isn't he? But when people do do that, I go, well, do you swear? Do you promise? Like, well, I wouldn't say it otherwise, yeah? Because we want to be people of integrity, don't we? Yeah. So you don't want people just running, yeah, does it? Yeah, I don't know about that. Probably lying. Yeah, mate. And, and you know, I've said this before. I, I hate that. I hate it when people lie to your face because you can't prove they're lying. But they're lying. Yeah, and you, you and them both know they're lying. Hey. <laughs> and it's like you have to play this game where, well, I can't accuse you of lying because I can't prove that you're lying. 
but we're just going to have to just kind of carry on anyway. That's really frustrating, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And there's a lot of people like that. And by the way, there's a lot of Christians like that as well, because a lot of people just lie, and they're they're kind of just go to it just to lie. You try and pull them up on something, they just lie, just straight off lie, straight off the cuff. And look, that's something. Look, if you if that's you, if you're sitting there going, oh, I think I can maybe do that, you really need to get right with that, because that's a that's a bad way to be, isn't it? Yeah. And that's definitely not shining light material. But here he's saying, look. We should, our communication should be yay, 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 nay, nay. If you say you're going to be somewhere, you should just be there, shouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah. I said, I talked about this the other week as well. Like, look, we, we should just be people if your word, like there's an old saying, my word's my bond. Yeah? yeah. My word is my bond. If I say something, I'm going to do it. Yeah. If I tell you I'm going to do something for you, I'm going to do it. And look, some of it, look, sometimes you can genuinely forget something. Sometimes there will be genuine reasons that come up, but it shouldn't, when you say yes to something, it shouldn't be a sort of, well, we'll see. If in your mind you're thinking, well, I'll see how I feel on the day, then look, that's not yay, yay, nay, nay. Yeah, that's sort of, well, uh, uh, who cares about them? I'm just going to sell our one. We want to be, we want to have good integrity. We want to be known as being honest. Jesus Christ is saying that you're yay and you're yay, you're yay and you're nay, so it should be enough. He then says in verse 38, I'm going to hurry up for the sake of time now. You have heard that it's been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now turn to Levit Leviticus 24 quickly. And this is in a few places in the Old Testament, by the way. But Leviticus 24 and verse 17 is just a clear place where it does say an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. He says in verse 17... Leviticus 24, 17. And he that killeth any man shall surely be put to death. And he that killeth a beast shall make it good, beast for beast. And if a man cause a blemish in his neighbor, as he hath done, so shall it be done to him. Breach for breach, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. If he hath caused a blemish in a man, so shall it be done to him again. And he that killeth a beast, he shall restore it. And he that killeth a man, he shall be put to death. Now, yes, under Old Testament Israel, the law was an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Yeah? Okay? But just interestingly here, they are now under Roman rule, aren't they? Yeah, they can't, they can't uh, live under their, the full laws of God that God gave them to live under. And really, that nation was never going to be self-governing again, was it? Because when it eventually rebelled, it then got destroyed, didn't it, by the Roman Empire in AD 70. So that's kind of the end of that until, obviously, we, we, we get to the millennial reign of Christ. So that, that can't continue, can it? And obviously, God knew that. And as Jesus Christ comes, he's saying, okay, well, you've heard that, but I say unto you that you resist not evil. But whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away." Now, there's a few few things to take from this because like i said firstly they're not now self-governing anymore so what are they meant to do because this is based on on you know the old testament law of how they're meant to make retribution for things etc well now he's just flipped around and said you've got to take this stuff and you could look at that and go that is a challenge isn't it that is a challenge that if someone smites you strikes you on your right cheek to turn to him the other also that is a challenge that if someone sues you to take away your coat, basically sues you and makes a claim off you to give him something extra. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. If someone tells you you've got to go on this distance as some sort of, you know, someone in authority, then you then you go go double the distance. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would bore of thee, turn not thou away. Now, yeah, that is a challenge. And look. God does want us to be model citizens. God does want us to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But turn to Romans 12, because I think Romans 12 helps you to understand this a little bit as well when you compare it. Romans chapter 12. Verse 17. Where the Bible reads in Romans 12 and from verse 17, recompense to no man evil for evil, provide things honest in the sight of all men. Okay, so we should be trying to live like that. If it be possible, sometimes, by the way, it's not possible. That could be when you're defending yourself, defending your family, etc. Look, you don't just have to lie down and just take it. Yeah, you don't just have to cover up and take a shoeing. Look, self-defense is OK. If, if it be possible as much as life, then you live peaceably with all men. Yeah, we should try and live peaceably. Though. Try our utmost to live peaceably. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. 
For, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hungry, hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink, for inside doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. So what do you do when you turn the other cheek? What are you doing when you give them extra when they sue you? What are you doing when they compel you to go a mile and you go further? You're basically letting vengeance go to God, aren't you? Yeah. Okay, you're, you're, you're letting... God take vengeance. Now, yeah, look, I'm not saying you should just be like, oh, I can't wait for them to get work. Look, if you can live peaceably, if you can reward, you know, evil with good, look, great, you're going to be happier anyway, aren't yeah. you? But ultimately, then you're putting it into God's hands. Because as soon as you put it in your own hands, well, I think you've foregone then God dealing with it. And look, like I've said before, our punishment ain't nothing on God's, is it? Yeah, you're, what are you going to do compared to what God's going to do? What are you going to do that's not going to end up with you in trouble because it's no longer... A, a self-governing nation so now suddenly you start trying to do an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth you're gonna in in this situation they're gonna come under roman issues and in our situation we're gonna have the wicked british government and all their bizarre perverse laws and perverse judges dealing with you if you try and seek vengeance yourself for things so look you're better off to leave it to the lord right go back to where we are with that in mind then in Romans 12 saying avenge not yourself but rather give place unto wrath for it is written vengeance is mine I will repay saith the Lord and remember he said that if you're giving them these things you're heaping coals of fire on his head and then verse 43 in, in uh, Matthew 5 says you have heard that it has been said thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy um I'll tell you what turn, turn quickly to Leviticus 19 18 we've got five minutes so Leviticus 19 and verse uh, and verse 18. Okay, and this, you know, I think you could say he's referring to this verse here where he says, Thou shalt not avenge, nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself. I am the Lord. Okay, now this is talking about the people, their people, their neighbour here. And then he says, and hate thine enemy. And if you think about it, that's in a few places in the word of God where he's talking about hating, for example, the, the Moabites and Ammonites and, and these people who are the enemies of, of, of the Lord and enemies of them here. But he then says in verse 44, but I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Now, again, if you compare that to Romans 12, well, firstly, you're putting it into God's hands. But secondly, just bear in mind, he's talking about loving your enemies. He didn't say God's enemies. Okay? He didn't say love God's enemies because as the psalmist said, do not I hate them that hate thee. Yeah? Am I not agree with them that rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. Yeah? I hope I didn't butcher that. But look, it, it, we do, look, we should hate those that hate the Lord. Because, look, the Lord makes it clear there are people that he hates. Amen. The children of the devil, the sons of Belial, the reprobates. We are to hate them. But here he says, love your enemies. Yeah, our own personal enemies. And many of us will have personal enemies that aren't enemies of God. And we should try and love them. But ultimately, when you love them and you do good to them, then you put it in God's hands to deal with them, right? Amen. But this isn't talking about God-haters. It's not talking about people that hate the things of God. Don't talk about people that want to want to destroy the things of God, that want to turn you away from the things of God, that want to preach false doctrine, that want to destroy churches. Okay, those people we should hate because they're the enemies of God, right? Okay, so he but he said, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. So God, God ultimately he still lets people have the blessings of life doesn't he yeah we still get the blessings of life we people whether they're evil or good they still seem to be able to get through life don't they okay and we leave that to the Lord and obviously on on his enemies we don't have to punish them ourselves again it does come down to God in the end doesn't it with that okay but it's funny sometimes you look around and you think wow how's that person even still living how's that person you know we talk a lot about ah oh, you know that that children are a blessing of the lord and then you look and you see some f like flaming reprobates having kids and stuff you're thinking what on earth you know but look god allows it to 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 the sun to rise the evil and on the good and set the throne the just and the unjust but look ultimately they're gonna 
burning the lowest depths of hell, these Amen. people, aren't they? For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. And look, we we if we only love them that love us, well, we don't get a reward. And that's saying that we can get reward, yeah? You want rewards? Love people that aren't just those that love you, love you. And you know the best way you can do that? Uh, preach the gospel. Yeah, preach the gospel because, you know, is, is, is there any greater love than that? Than getting someone saved? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, yeah? And look, we, we should love others. And the first way we can do that is go out and preach the gospel. It's not by just going around and telling people that we love their sin. And we because that's not loving is it no. it's not loving to not rebuke sin it's not loving to to keep quiet about the things of god but but it is loving to go and preach the gospel to them and help them help them understand the gospel and to try and get them saved and again saluting your brethren well that's just giving respect and and being polite basically to other people and again shouldn't we do that shouldn't we be polite and respectful to people be ye therefore perfect, that's complete, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. And on that, let's pray. Father, I thank you for, um, for a great chapter there, the Bible. Thank you. Um, thank you for all the many things we can learn from that. Thank you for just making it clear with a little study just, just how to explain what, what some people find hard verses to explain. We know that we're saved by grace through faith, but sometimes it, you know, we need to compare Scripture and we need to look for, the, for, for things such as words like whosoever and, and, and Jesus kind of giving that what some would call hyperbole or just explaining what, what the difference there if you're trying to go by works and then you've got to basically be 100% be perfect and none of us can be 100% perfect and and thank you that that we don't have to be 100 percent perfect thank you that you died for us that you gave us that free gift of salvation help us to preach that loud and clear help us to be shining lights help us to be the salt of the earth help us to 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 want to want to be that want to want to even just with this nation to get that blessing on this nation and to want to go out and 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 be what you want us to be to get more people saved to to get the blessings here and and help us to uh, to do that you know with the rest of this week and return on sunday to our new building um for for you know a great day in your house in jesus name we pray all of this amen amen, amen.